Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, San Marino Bones, Phantom Sub, Police Captain's Death, and School Bus Family. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I am your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. It's been some crazy weather. Crystal, I I hear you survived the hurricane. Yeah, survived Hurricane Hillary. Um, I heard some parts of L.A. like didn't even get any rain. Wow. So, um, but for all our, uh, yeah, we talked about, I think it was the day before. Yeah, we kind of prepped the yard and stuff. We were expecting some pretty high winds. It wasn't even a breeze (laughs) that came through here. There's a lot of rain. There was a lot of rain, but I think we had some storms that during the winter, during the atmospheric river that California got, that were a lot more intense than anything Hillary had for us. But it pretty much like steadily rained. And then like at 3 p.m., like someone really turned the faucet on and it was really raining. (laughs) But I would say it was not. I'm look, it's better to be prepared. And a lot of the desert areas got more rain in a day than they would see in a year because yeah. of Hurricane Hillary, but at least, and it's in, it's highly unusual probably for both of us um, to see any kind of precipitation during the summertime. Yes. Yes. It, would you say so? And, and people in the South are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you know, we don't, we typically don't see any, any precipitation between let's say june and december i mean it's usually a good six months Mm. of the year we don't see any rain so um and then so then it weirdly uh labor day weekend as long as i've lived in los angeles has been boiling usually the hottest weekend of the year no question yeah and then this weekend it rained rained yesterday rained all yesterday and so I guess you guys got a little bit of weather up your direction, which has caused an incident. Yes, yes, we we had a problem. I, from your description, it sounds like we had more rain this Labor Day weekend than you guys had during your hurricane. Um, yeah. And I, as a side effect of that, uh, though those in the know may be aware that Labor Day weekend is when the Burning Man Festival happens out in the, uh, what is it, the Black Rock Desert? Black Rock Desert, yeah. A.K.A. the weekend in Reno where, God forbid, you should try to go anywhere else uh, Mm -hmm. or leave town. You know, bad idea. So everyone in Reno and northern Nevada is kind of, or anywhere, I would say, along the I-80 corridor, you best be going east because if you're trying to come back west <laughs> on Labor Day weekend, it's not just normal holiday traffic. It's 50,000 people moving an entire city out of the desert, usually. Yes. So. Yes. Uh, occasionally stopping at a grocery store, you'll you'll see their dust-covered vehicles and uh, mm-hmm. be able to discern precisely where they're coming from. Yes. Well, apparently it rained so much out there that the participants in of the Burning Man are I'm not sure if trapped is necessarily the right word, but they're kind of stranded. Mm. Um Yeah. Mm. You know, both because of, you know, water and their like 
their via. I don't know if they're just going to have to abandon their vehicles and just oh. emergency transportation out. Yeah, that's that's what I've been been hearing. So, um, well, I don't know. It's almost like now, like we both said, the rain, any kind of rain during the month of August, September is ex- extremely unusual. Yeah. I don't remember a time ever of having summer storms like this. Like, it's just not, it's just not a thing where we live, mm-hmm. but perhaps maybe putting that amount of people in an area that is that remote and has zero services is just like a bad idea. Yeah, it does seem, in retrospect, that if there was an emergency situation, uh, because I I actually first became aware of this, I was scrolling through social media and I saw a post by the Washoe County Sheriff's Office, and they're like, because of the you know the weather, da da da, and we're we're gonna do everything we can to help everyone out uh, there out. And I was reading that, and someone someone commented like. You guys really have the resources to rescue fifty thousand people. <laughs> Sounds like the no, national. No, they're just gonna. It's just gonna be a. It's gonna be a goddamn disaster because this, one of the things about Burning Man is you have to like pack in everything and pack out everything. Right? Well, allegedly you pack out everything. I'm sure there's. I'm sure not. It's not pristine. Yeah, you have that many people going someplace that doesn't. It's not. It's just the desert. Like, if people don't know, it's a, a temporary city that gets constructed called Black Rock City once a year, and then it gets dismantled, and there's, yeah, fifty to 60,000 people that go out there every year, and that's a, that's a lot, and I'm sure there's just a ton of trash and shit that gets left behind. I know that's kind of against the ethos of Burning Man, but... um you know you can't tell me it isn't already like an ecological disaster and if people want to write me about oh Burning Man's not the fuck off please I lived up there for a decade I know it's an ecological disaster there's been like environmental studies done about all the carbon from idling in your cars going out there sitting for hours at a time on the freeways and then also this one road that goes in and out of Black Rock City and then all the you know the single-use plastics that people have to take out there you know basically trying to like do this every it's an absolute goddamn ecological disaster so i'm sure this case when people are just going to be have to be stuck for a minute i guess until it dries out which will probably take a couple days right i would assume so you can't because you can't get that many people you just can't airlift that many you can't you just have to deal with it and there's all that septic waste to deal with. You know, you've already been out there for a week. <laughs> it's just, I, I look, I, I, I think I look, I'm not a fan of burning man. So how many I'll times have you been stuck in traffic on the I-80 or <laughs> a lot. because, ah. because I forgot <laughs> or even just, or even just trying to like, okay, you live in Reno and you're like, Oh, it's the weekend before, uh, you know, labor. It's the last week of August. I'm going to go to the grocery store or I have to go to Walmart to pick some things up because I live here. Mm-hmm. Like, no, go. F- it's not happening. <laughs> like if you're anywhere on that corridor you're screwed so it's just it's just very annoying it's very annoying that people make it like their entire personality um 
it's very annoying that it has become this thing where all the, there's just the amount of money that's now in it too. It's just, I'm sure all the like classic burners are like, that's not me, man. I'm like, okay, well I see you, but you know, it's just tons of tech bros and ladies going out there with, you know, all this money and they want to be free as society or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, you know, problem is problem is not where you live you're just taking you with you you know what wavy gravy saying wherever you go there you are <laughs> yes just yes. saying uh, the- do you like i don't know also like why do you want to go out there and do a bunch of drugs you know there are more dea and fbi agents on black rock city that week of the year than anywhere else on the planet there's like the concentration of law enforcement <laughs> <laughs> well i mean are they it's th- so dumb <laughs> Are, are they there to, to conduct uh, drug arrests or? Yeah, they're out there to bust people because they can, because there's people out there doing drugs. So. Yeah, but I, I always I always was under the understanding that like that, that, that was a place where like uh, there's a blind eye turn to uh, this otherwise rampant law breaking of our drug laws. No, so, hmm. there are more DEA agents and FBI agents out there to do drug enforcement activities. They are concentrated there during Burning Man than any time or any other place in the United States. Wow. How many, how many arrests do they make? I, I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you could look it up. It's probably a ton. Damn. Probably a lot of citations more than anything. Okay. But I'm sure, I'm not sure if they're arresting people, but you know, I'm just saying like, Hey, I'm, I don't have any problem with consenting adults want to do in the privacy of their homes. Go for it. But just don't be dumb. <laughs> and don't like lie to yourself and think that Burning Man is just like, oh, this activity. You know, there's a lot of tourists there. There's a lot of people with bad intentions. There's a, And it's just ecologically, it's a fucking disaster for the like entire corridor between San Francisco and Black Rock City. It is a nightmare. So... Anyways, I'm sorry that people are stuck, but maybe fucking rethink what you're doing next year. Like, find another way to enjoy yourself and find a community that doesn't involve that, you know? Yeah, you know, like this Labor Day weekend, yesterday, I mostly stayed yeah. at home. You have to. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Fortunately, I don't venture outdoors too much anyway. So, yeah. I, well, that's good. So your weekend wasn't really, you know, ruined by weather, or Burning Man or anything else. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I did wake up with a tension headache yesterday, which oh. sometimes happens, but I, I've developed. Man, I hate that. Yeah. For, fortunately, I find that um, a cure I have for it is I just mm-hmm. uh, meander on down to the local uh, market where I buy a pizza uh, mm. a uh, two things of cherry coke, and a, a, mm-hmm. uh, some ice cream. I return yeah. with them to my my house. I uh-huh. I take two aspirin, and uh-huh. really, even by the time I finish the entire pizza, I'm kind of uh, the headache mm-hmm. is is receding, and it's mm-hmm. got, definitely gone by the time I finish off that ice cream. Now, I think we've discussed this before. You're basically just trading head pain for intestinal distress. 
Exactly. No, I I get it. I think uh, I'm a I'm a little. I had a little bit to drink last night, and I think you know a hangover is very similar. It's like I already feel terrible. What can take my mind off of <laughs> how terrible I'm feeling? Let me feel terrible in this totally other way. <laughs> Precisely. <You know? laughs> um. But uh, all right. Well, you know this is a uh, this is an unsolved mysteries podcast. Like we said, one that will never have any sort of sponsorship from Burning Man. <laughs> uh, no. We don't want it. Well, you know, Burning Man is like free from sponsorship, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, can't be, can't be bought. Oh, I, I you know, there's also a little bit, there's also a little bit. I got not to harp on a point here, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who've been to Burning Man that probably listen to this. I don't know, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, m- maybe our listeners are actually cool, but. Uh, you know, I have friends that have been to Burning Man. They like certainly didn't like make it their life or anything. Like that. Right. But um, just living in the Reno area for as long as I did, it is so much a part of the culture year round with so many people that live there that like when when you are dating and let's say you're filling out. I cannot tell you on OkCupid or Match.com how many people I got matched with that just, it was their profile was just people, pictures of them at Burning Man. And it's like, I understand that politically I might agree with a lot of these people, but I, I, I will not be able to stand this person (laughs) that you're (laughs) suggesting for me. (laughs) Like, no, 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 no. And it's, and it's, it's look, I, I'm, I'm all look. I'm all about uh, community art. You know, being artistic. Um, I'm I'm very supportive of people who want to do hallucinogens. <laughs> like <laughs> pl- we've been over this on the podcast. Please do that. Like please free your mind. But if you are, if it is so a part of your personality that f- that all of those things can only happen because of your participation in a one week event once a year, then you're fucking fake, and I don't like you. <laughs> like, yeah. Get, Get, get out of here i don't i don't like that shit anyway so i just have like a lot of baggage when it comes to burning man. <laughs> clearly clearly um i didn't realize i'm like still like oh these motherfuckers are still doing that <laughs> like i'm still like oh uh, yeah i'm sure it was cool last year though right i'm sure it was better last year <laughs> burning man perhaps yes <laughs> Uh okay, but unsolved mysteries for real. We got to talk about we got to talk about some unsolved mysteries. Let's talk about some unsolved mysteries. Season seven, episode eleven. Seven eleven, seven eleven. Been waiting hey. for that. Um, that was I was that, uh, when I was hanging out. That was a persona. Friends, uh, <laughs> so, that was a, what? Sorry, I guess we both have seven eleven stories. I was just gonna say that. Um, that in my persona, in any sort of military reenacting, if I'm ever playing the role of an officer, someone came up with something where they, they, they that my nickname is Old 7-Eleven. Seventh in this class, 11 demerits. <laughs> oh, it's not like a dig? No, no, I, well, I would, I wouldn't think so. I mean, uh in a military class being seventh really isn't bad i mean you're you're in the top 20 percent or whatever and i mean 11 demerits uh west point 
Yeah. I think West Point, you, you couldn't get more than 200 demerits in a year or you'd be expelled. So. Okay. Uh, I mean, if, if you're only getting 11, you, I mean, that's probably just like, you're probably uh, playing by the rules for the most part. Uh, you, you just mess up occasionally. So. But t- uh, tell us your 7 Eleven story. Oh, I, I wasn't. I don't have one really. Okay, well then let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> I just think they're, co- I just think their soft baked cookies are real good, but I've mentioned that before. I I, I think I, I will plug their cookies. So hear that Seven Eleven? There's a there's a big gaping hole for sponsorship where you could. I would love Seven Eleven to sponsor us. I have a lot of good things to say about most Seven Elevens. Okay. Um. <laughs> And the the other ones, you know who you are. Okay, let's talk about it. We have a, it's a local one. Connor, do we have some kind of alarm when we, or sound we play when there's like a local Unsolved Mystery? I don't know. Okay, uh, so um, this one was kind of, was kind of uh, compelling, I thought. Okay. This was kind of a juicy one. Um, so in 1994, the this reenactment was cool too because they in 1994 in San Marino, California. So that's kind of northeast of downtown LA, but it's straight east of where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, please don't triangulate that, anyone. <laughs> oh. There's no way you could. I'm just giving relative directions. Okay. Okay. Um, so San Marino is a, a kind of Tony suburb of Los Angeles. And, um, sorry, in 1994, um, during, uh, an excavation to build a swimming pool, the workers found, uh, some bones. They found a skull and, yes. and it had been, and the body had been dismembered. It was remains of a, uh, a man. And so first I'm thinking, well, maybe this is like native American burial ground, but then I guess like. Um, some stuff was in a fiberglass box, like some bones. Right, the, and the, the and then I was like, "That's probably, not, probably not a Native American burial." No, right, and, and and I think like the suspicious thing was like the the remains were separated in three different containers, which, um, yeah, uh, is usually an indication of bodily dismemberment. Right. Yeah. Um, so immediately investigators start unwinding what may have happened under the ownership of the previous owner, a woman named Ruth So House or Sohus. And what they find out is that way back in 1985, her son, John, and her daughter-in-law, Linda, who had been living with her at the time, had been reported missing. Uh-huh. And... The, this investigators think the remains belong to John, but they don't have any dental records to verify the oh. teeth of the skull with. So, um, and there's no DNA for biological family members. Um, oh, I guess the reason was because John was adopted, but it, that was never mentioned in the segment. I'm just telling you. Oh, that, okay. Lucky. But I was wondering yeah. that as well, why they weren't able to do DNA. Because they just don't know who's his. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. That wouldn't have been helpful in this case. I just want to talk about the very regretful <laughs> wedding picture that they chose the show <laughs> for the two of them. Uh huh. Okay. Let's talk about it. It's just, um, 
I mean, I imagine they had to have. Se- she looks a little. She looks a little wasted. Yeah, and he, Linda does, and she does, and he he has this sort of blank-eyed stare right into the camera. Now he's wearing these gla- sunglasses, which apparently he wears all the time. Yeah, I actually had. Um, yeah, uh, I actually had uh, the now deceased, but relatives who did this, so I get it. Mm-hmm. And you know, fine, but I mean, his facial expression in the wedding picture is just, uh, uh, I mean, it's not, I have to imagine they had more, more than one picture of their wedding. Yeah, They're, I don't know how this became the cover shot, right? This, this, this seems for this, just seems like a horrifying choice, especially since they're later on. They show a picture of the two of them, mm-hmm. and you know they're just wearing like some white t-shirts and yeah, just like an everyday picture yeah. snapped, and they look so much better. Like you know, she's got this. Yeah, she's got this 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 wonderful like sort of toothy <laughs> smile, and I, I I think they're going for like a goofy like uh uh, uh picture, and he he's kind of got this wry smile, and his glasses are slightly ajar, and it's kind of cute, and it's like mm, you should probably should have just gone with this one. Uh, yeah and also i would say you know most people if you're for identification purposes aren't walking around in a bridal veil and their wedding suit i don't know i mean it is like that's probably like the worst type of picture to use mm -hmm. in a missing person situation like if you were to use my wedding photos i'm like i don't walk around looking like that that was after a professional makeup artist said done my hair and makeup and also my husband's we look like shit most of the time like find that picture (laughs) from a party or whatever use that that's that's what we're walking around looking like not the day we got married you know (laughs) but in this case it's probably the opposite yeah yeah their their wedding photo is like not you're right it's a little that's a little weird that they chose to use that yes um so at the time of their disappearances, uh, John and Linda had been living at home with the mother and they like were not down with that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as it goes then, as it does now, you know, L.A. is a pretty expensive place to live. Sometimes you got to just stick it out while you're saving up to to move out. Um, John worked as a computer programmer, such as it was in 1985. And <laughs> he saw the movie Tron Linda, and he was like, that's the career yes, for me. <laughs> that's for me. I'm going to fight for the user. Here I go. Um, and then Linda was an artist and they, in the reenactment, they show the, the woman playing Linda painting something, whatever. But then there's another photo they show of actual Linda and all her art. Mm hmm. And I don't know, were you able to sort of clock what s- style of art she's doing? Oh, I, uh, I'm not really, I don't really, um, in, t- in terms of uh, art, I can't really describe styles. But I mean, uh, I, d- I did notice it seemed like a lot of horses, right? It looked like kind of, it was kind of like a deviant art, uh, unicorn-esque. <laughs> quality mm-hmm. maybe yeah yeah I, I i wasn't quite sure are, are you saying that that his career as the computer programmer was probably where the most of the money was going to come into their household from 
I'm not sure. I mean, maybe there was a really big market for that type of painting in the 80s. There was a, a lot of fantasy stuff that was a popular look. True, true. Then, you know. True. Um, so they, in 1985, they decide we're going to go to New York. Uh, I guess it was because they were interviewing for new jobs or John had gotten a job and then she was going to interview for jobs. But anyway, they got to go. They, they couldn't say what they were doing, but they had to go to New York. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they were planning on going for two weeks. Linda leaves their six, six six cats. cats. That's a lot. Six of them. Um, at a kennel pays for two weeks and leaves. Now that seems like too many cats, especially, I mean, you're, you're already having to, you're, you're, you're sharing a, a structure with your alcoholic mother-in-law, uh, and then you're mm-hmm. throwing six cats into the mix. That seems like it would, would have been crowded. Yes. Yeah. Six. So, uh, so I'm just, I'm like sensing that there's some like tension in this household. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Well, um, now, now, do you in any of the reenactments of the mother? Was there a single one where she was not holding a drink? No. <laughs> yeah. So Dee Dee had a little. Or, or the mother who went by Dee Dee had a little problem with alcohol, apparently. And they really played that up in the reenactment in a big way. <laughs> and how? So. So weeks go by, more than two weeks, right? I mean, at this point, um, eight weeks go by. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the kennel with the cats calls the Dee Dee, or not Dee Dee, sorry, Linda's sister, and said, hey, um, you're listed as a contact person. Come get these fucking cats. Or else we're like, I mean, I'm surprised they held on to him for as long as they did. <laughs> That's pretty generous window. Right. You know? I, I I agree. I, I would have been terrified at, at the notion of animals staying that long. I would assume that they would have long since been disposed of. Or, yes, or surrendered to a shelter, right, right. you know, as being abandoned or whatever. Um, but, yeah, so then the sister's like, what the fuck? Yeah, she never came and got her cats. Six cats. A lot of cats. Not come get and uh, i'm a little too focused on the cat ass there was just a lot of cats i i well admittedly while watching the segment i was kind of i know it's horrible because we're talking about murder segment but i was really kind of worried about the cats the whole time i think the cats probably are okay yeah because they they make reference later on in the segment and it's like and another strange clue fell into place a mysterious stranger came and claimed all six cats and took them away and i guess yeah. you know unsolved mysteries would maybe have a scene that this is part of the the murder conspiracy but i'm guessing probably more likely there's some there was some lonely uh, 59 year old woman who was like I'll take all six cats, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the cats, so the kennel calls Kathy. The kennel calls Kathy. The kennel calls Kathy. Kathy, the sister. And Kathy, very understandably, is like, something must be really wrong. Mm-hmm. That the last I heard weeks ago, my sister, Linda, was going to um, New York and then I never heard from her. Yeah. And then the kennel calls and says, oh, 
come get, you know, what's going on with these cats. Look, I think this is, this is a very interesting thing about pet ownership, right? Um, like if, if I were in a situation where like I left my dog with a friend or something and I didn't come back, like they would know something was terribly wrong. Right. You know, it's the same thing with your cats, right? Like there's no situation or at least there's no situation where I'm not at least checking in and saying, Hey, like, can you hold him for another couple of days? Something's come up. I'll come get him as soon as Terribly I can. Terribly sorry about the you inconvenience. Know. It's yeah. Yeah. I think besides children, pets kind of like tether you to the world in a way that if you don't have pets, it's kind of like, if you don't have pets, you could be dead and gone for a long time before someone maybe notices. Yeah. But like the pets are really the tip of like, they're the thing that tie you to the world, you know? That's true. Anyway, it's tr- I just, I was just thinking about that watching the segment. I'm like, yeah, if some, if, if I left my dog with a friend, and then they didn't hear from me or I wasn't like checking in or whatever. They would know something that was terribly, terribly wrong. Um, okay. So that's going on. And then there's this weird postcard that Linda's friend Sue gets. And it hadn't been mailed from New York. It had been ma- mailed from Paris. And on the back it said, dear Sue kind of missed New York. Oops. But this can be lived with John and Linda. And it didn't say what had happened. It didn't say what they were doing in France. Sue was like, the fuck is this? Um, and there was another one that was sent from France to Linda's family. And it was just equally as vague. Right. right. It, I mean, there's no, no details about what, what's going on. No way to contact them. Uh no right. explanation as to why they're now in France as opposed to New York. Just yeah, no instructions about what should be done with the cats. <laughs> Precisely. So meanwhile, um, so now Linda's sister, Linda's friend Sue, they have now called the police, being like something has happened to Linda. And so the police go to Dee Dee's house where they had been living and Dee Dee, you know, like Kathy had called Dee Dee multiple times and Kathy was just like, look, every time I call and get some kind of story and she's in some level of intoxication and the story changes every time and says, you know, they're on a secret mission from the government and she can't tell us where they are and like all this nonsense. And this, the sister is like not buying it for a second, not one second. And rightly so and so Dee, Dee, who's apparently just alcohol addled mind can be easily manipulated tells the cops uh, the couple of times they come through saying oh well i know they're fine because i have a source that's telling me that they're okay and it tur- and then you know like creepy music here connor maybe i don't know don't don't do that don't do that actually um but uh, it turns out that there was a guy that had been living in uh, Didi's guest house this entire time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And his name is Christopher Chinchester. Chichester. Ch- Chichester. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that a real? It's not his real name, but it's a weird fake name. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the source was this guy, Christopher, that she's talking about. Do you about. think he chose that a- alias so that he could, he wanted people to, uh, in his persona to tell the, tell others to refer to him at, you know, you could just call me Chai Chai. Yeah. Chi Chi. Yeah. Or, or Chris, Chris Chich. Cree. Or Cree. Cree it. Chester. Yeah. He's, I don't know. It's a weird fake name to choose. Mm-hmm. So finally, Dee Dee decides to cooperate with the police and, and in fact, files a missing persons report. Um, so who knows why she had the change of heart? Cause, and we'll never find out because at this point in time in 1994, Dee Dee has passed away and, and the house has been sold. And that's why the next people were digging for a pool. Um, so Christopher was seen. 3,000 miles away trying to sell John's truck in Connecticut. Um, at this time, he's calling himself Christopher Crow. Yeah, and I guess, like, it was it was trying to sell it to the son of some uh, minister or something. Um, but the reason the reason the guy didn't purchase it is because there was a lien on it or something, right? Right. I mean, it's always suspicious when someone's like, look, uh, the title, you know, you kind of have to... You have to go to the DMV to, you know, get the title sorted out, which is always sus. It's like, why don't you have the title again? Well, you know, it's a it's a whole thing. (laughs) uh, I'm not sure I want to buy your used vehicle. Of course, nowadays I don't buy used vehicles at all. I buy them directly new. Brand new. Wow. From the future, actually. <laughs> What's yeah? You have a twenty twenty four now. Yes. What's that like? I mean, what's it like having a car from the future? I'm just relieved that I now live a life where when I get up and I go outside to start my car, I'm not kind of mm-hmm. half crossing my fingers that like it's going to start right. This isn't the day where it doesn't start because uh, I. Uh, the pre uh, truck I was previously driving, I went out to go over to uh, my friend's place, and it didn't start. I was like, "Ah, oh, shit!" Um, and so that's the story of how I now have a a Honda CRV. Anyway, so let's uh <laughs> cool story. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know, right? Uh um I myself am driving a car that is almost 20 years old, so that's my situation. Um this uh segment kind of ends with them sort of pointing at this very suspicious former guest house renter. Yeah. And um then we get an update and they are looking for it turns out this guy christopher chichester christopher crow um is actually named christian carl gerhardt's writer he's german and he's german he's a surprise german i'm, I'm surprised unsolved mysteries that, like and it's part of a broader thing of they didn't really depict him in any much beyond the the truck selling scheme and i was always I was just sort of left like perplexed as to what his his motive was, but certainly the 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 picture of the actual man that it, they kept cutting to when talk discussing him 
You show me that picture and you tell me that that guy is a German uh, uh, with the last name Gerhard Streiter. I'll totally yeah. believe it because he looks he looks yeah. like he should be on sprockets. <laughs> <laughs> Now's the time on sprockets when we dance. Uh, you know, young youngins can go look that one up. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm not going to, let's not digress on explaining a very old SNL segment. All right. Uh, okay. So the white text update we get from Unsolved Mysteries is, says that this guy was picked up and charged with John's murder. Mm-hmm. And after, um, after the whole swimming pool incident, the investigators this was also mentioned during the actual segment the investigators uh the police had gone in with this some sort of luminescent chemical right um into the home and this chemical though it is toxic if you spray it around and turn the lights off any sort of blood stain no matter how well you think you clean that up will become luminescent and they found a ton of blood in that house in san marino yeah and this is like years after the fact. So clearly some f- foul play had gone down. So th- that's why they started pursuing this um, this guy, uh, Christopher, um, who's really Christian Carl Gerhardt's writer. So anyway, um, the white text update we get is that there is a, uh, they picked him up. They arrested him and charged him with murder. Um, and then finally, uh, investigators were able to locate John's birth family and DNA testing from his family members confirmed that the remains found in the backyard of the house had belonged to him. But what Unsolved Mysteries didn't mention and what I would like to mention from the wiki here is it gets it's even wilder than that. Oh, really? Yes. So um, in 2008, this guy, Christian Carl Gerhardt Strider, was located and arrested. At the time, he was using the alias Clark Rockefeller. <laughs> <laughs> he was arrested after he abducted his seven-year-old daughter during a custody visit. Over the years, he had conned friends and even his ex-wife into believing he was part of the wealthy Rockefeller family. Fingerprints confirmed his true identity. Investigators reopened the Soho's case after his parental kidnapping trial concluded. He was sentenced to four to five years in state prison on the kidnapping charge and additional time for an assault charge. He refused to co- cooperate with the police in their investigation of the Soho's case. In March of 2011, he was charged with John Soho's murder. Investigators finally located John's birth. Like I said, okay, whatever. Um, and at the trial, along with the luminol, luminol, that's the luminescent uh, material, along with the luminol evidence, prosecutors had several witnesses testify against Garrett's writer. Um, multiple neighbors remembered seeing strange colored smoke coming from his chimney around the time of the murders. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, he also had asked friends about places that he could dispose of drums filled with chem- quote unquote chemicals, which were John's remains that were found in the metal drum. Around the time of the murder, he borrowed a chainsaw from a oh, neighbor. Not. That's the bodily dismemberment. Uh, and tried to sell a blood-stained rug to a friend. <laughs> Wait, what? He tried to sell it. He tried to sell that shit. You know, most people just put that shit in the ocean or take it to the dump. But he was like trying to make a dollar off the blood-stained rug. Oh, my God. Also, around that same time, a friend noticed that the ground near the guest house had been dug up. 
I mean, the physical evidence here is just overwhelming. <laughs> he claimed that he was having plumbing problems. However, that same area was where John's body would later be found. Finally, two bags found with John's remains came from two universities that Gerhardt's writer had attended. So the bags that the remains were found in came from universities. <laughs> On April 10th, 2013, Gerhardt's writer was convicted by a Los Angeles jury of first degree murder of John. He was sentenced to 27 years to life. Sadly, Linda has never been found. However, police believe that she's dead and probably killed by Gerhardt's writer around the same time as John. Man. And then John was, or I'm uh, sorry, then this guy. Christian was like feeding the alcoholic mom like oh yeah they're on a secret government mission and I'm their contact and wild wow I think I think unsolved mysteries unfortunately couldn't include probably the most interesting I was gonna say that. That would have, this segment would, like if they had included all that shit this would have easily been in the top 10 of all segments we've ever watched yeah he tried to sell the rug <laughs> you know it's got a few stains on it but it's still good or uh, I don't know maybe maybe there's probably a very small slice of people for whom the blood stains would be a selling point, but I can't imagine, you know, yeah. it's going to be difficult to find them. Uh, hmm. I mean, imagine, though, that this guy's friends had gotten together outside of him and started having a conversation about him. Be like, yeah, I, there's a whole weird hole he was digging. And then there was like the other guy. Yeah, he tried to sell me this rug. And then, yeah, but then I he so, borrowed a chainsaw from hey, me. Wait a second hole Try yeah. to, so you saw him digging a hole he tried to sell you a rug with blood stains he borrowed a chainsaw from me yeah i mean i feel like if you had enough friends together with enough of the pieces they it, it seems yeah they might have solved that one a right, little earlier right. you know if they had been able to connect. I'm that. interested in like how he was able to pull off the scam that he was a member of the Rockefellers. Cause it's, I know that's a whole nother yeah, segment. That's, I mean, what? Yeah, like you, you need to like, I mean the amount of spending he would need to like, to, to keep people from being like, ah, I'm feeling like that's a little BS. Um, yeah, because because the Rockefellers have Rockefeller money, so I mean, I, you would have to go more with like, like you know, something like you were one of the people who helped create Facebook, but who got screwed over by Zuckerberg or something, right? Because then you <laughs> like you you have that proximity to money, but also an excuse why for why you don't have the billions. I, I do think probably like Rockefeller or Vanderbilt money at this point is probably pretty watered down at this point. Like if you're a descendant, you're like, I had to get financial aid to pay for college. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like maybe it just the generational wealth has not quite trickled down. I don't know. Yeah. I guess we need to start a start a charity for for impoverished yeah. descendants of the of the wealth of of the wealthy robber yeah. barons of the 1800s. Yeah, or hey, if you're if you are a distant descendant of one of the uh, robber barons of the 1800s uh and you listen to the show, tell us how you're doing. I'd like to hear from you. <laughs> I'd be interested. Share your story. 
Yeah, drop us a line. There's probably one of them out there. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm, I mean, Um, at this point, because there there have to be what thousands of descendants of any one of those guys, right? Some of them have to listen to pods, and what are the odds that they're they're listening? At least a few are like just you know true crime pod people or yeah. So absolutely, yeah. I have an interesting little fact factoid. We'll we'll call it a as I often do when I like to talk about facts about the actor Timothy Oliphant, it's a Timothy Oliphant, um, that he is distantly related to Anderson Cooper. You know the actor Timothy Oliphant? Uh, which one is he? He's uh, He's been in a lot of stuff. He was in Justified. Um, that was kind of his big show. He's in Deadwood. Oh. He's was in Santa Clarita Diet. He's been in a ton of stuff, but um, yeah, he is distantly related to Anderson Cooper because they're both descended from Anderson Cooper more directly descended from Vanderbilt. Okay, interesting. So that's a fun Timothy Ola fact. But moving on, uh, there is a submarine, or maybe not, off the coast of California. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, okay, this is a legend segment. It Oh, it was a legend. Yeah, that's what the the I mean, okay. I, I guess for a dearth of what else to refer to this to. Right. Uh cuz yeah. it's not anyway. So, it starts out we get the, some shots of the beautiful California coastline and a reenactment taking place in a diving shop where a guy's talking to the shop either owner or clerk and he's recounting how he spotted something interesting while he was out diving. Something very unusual. Uh, and mm, how unusual? Well, apparently it was a submarine, which, mm. I mean, I guess that's not UFO level unusual, but still, no. I mean, not, not, not what you're expecting. Yeah. And uh, so there's this legend that's emerged that like there's an American submarine somewhere off the coast of, of California. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Robert Stack's narration comes in is like today. It seems preposterous that an enemy submarine could be off the coast of the United States. And then they show what unsolved mysteries <laughs> puts a, a, a note on the screen Indicating actual German war footage of, I guess, German U-boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Do you know what the U in U-boat stands for by any chance? I've just always wondered. I'm assuming it's the German word for underwater, which would probably sound uh-huh. something like underwater Bolton or something. Yeah. 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 Underwasser. Oh, that. that hey, that. if you speak German... <laughs> And you know what the U and U-boats and Yeah, it's probably a pretty easy Google search. I just thought I'd ask you because you know about stuff like that. I mean, I'm assuming, yeah, I'm assuming it means underwater. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, if it, it's actually Underwasser and I, when I look this up after we're done recording, I'm going to lose, lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once you know how German the language works, it's pretty easy yeah. to figure out what their words are. It's, they're, yeah. they're, they're very literal people. Do you think I could write a uh, Christian Gerhardt's writer? <laughs> Do you think he knows? Oh, because he's still in he's still in prison, right? He'd be in jail. Yeah, prison. And he's still alive. 
You think we Presumably. can? Presumably, yeah. There was no. I didn't see anything in the wiki about him being dead. So, do you think we should? Do you, as an official podcast thing, do you think we should say about? I mean, that's kind of. I mean, he fucking brutally murdered someone. I don't think I really want to like open up a communication channel to be like, "Hey, listen, just wondering." <laughs> What does the U and U boat stand for? I know you speak German. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just think it'd be funny if he he like he gets this letter and all it is is asking him if he knows what the U and U boat stands for. He's like, Yeah. What? There's nothing else. He's like, What is this? (laughs) Uh, But but I I take it you're you're saying it's probably not a good idea for me to reveal my general location to this guy. No, I just think it's like some. I I think maybe like that's not a company we want to keep. Oh, okay. I was just, you know what I'm saying? Like, ah, oh, fuck that guy. You know, let him rot in prison. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> you know. Uh, I th- you see. I was looking at it from the perspective of this mysterious letter would haunt him for whatever the remainder yeah. of his days are. He's like, who said that? What? what why were they asking me that? Yeah. Drives him well, crazy. Like, yeah. Uh, anyway. So, <clears throat> uh, they, the segment, they, they interview some people who, uh, served off a, a, on a ship that was off the California coast and they recount how at one point they had to, you know, they went to, they had to fire their, their K gun to shoot the, the depth charges in to the water. And they, it seems like they hit something cause oil started bubbling up from the, from the from the water or if i understand correctly it could have it may have been a de- uh, deception because sometimes a a sub if uh destroyers are trying to death charge it they might release some oil so it go goes up to the surface and make the make the surface ships think that they they you know they they hit it and then they the sub tries to sneak away into the into the well not night well it could be night but anyway uh so they recount this experience of seeing the you know this explosion happen uh but then they uh i guess they had some worries like did this submarine actually belong to the enemy i sure hope it wasn't one of ours yeah but there seems to be a lot of question as to whether or not a sub any submarine was even sunk over there Right. I mean, well, and that's the thing, like, because I, I see where this segment kind of it fits into the uh, into the genre of unsolved mystery segments where it's like something happened with military wise and the government's trying to deny it happened because they're embarrassed and people are trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually we see this with like, you know, um family family members believing that their uh, son or whoever is still alive somewhere in, right. in Vietnam or, or was never. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is kind of sort of just similar of this genre uh, with these, you know, these crew members trying to petition the government for information because they want to know, you know, did we end up sinking an American submarine or something? Um, yeah. But uh, the thing is, uh, with all those other segments of this genre, you have family members searching for the truth, 
And I feel like if an American submarine was actually sunk, they would have had people on the show who were like, my brother was on that submarine and I just want to know, you know, yeah, what happened? Right. I mean, it comes back to the like, well, was it even sunk? Well, it may have been, but the U.S. government is covering it up because it might have been one of our own. And it's like, yes, but then that means that there were certain you know, there were Navy men on that sub who have personnel records. So whether or not the U S government was trying to cover it up, they can't just disappear a bunch of dudes. Like you said, without their family wondering, you know, maybe they got a KIA or killed in action or something like that. I mean, it's not like friendly fire doesn't exist, right? It happens a lot. So it, it it totally does. I mean, something could have happened like this. What's but just kind of what's odd about it is that it it allegedly happened off the California coast because right. If you're an American submarine, there's not really any point to being submerged off the right off the coast of California. Submarines typically uh, a World War II submarine is going to spend most of its time above the surface. You only go underwater when you need to. So. Right, and yeah. you would only need to if you were around in enemy territory, which is not the coast of California. No, no. So, this, uh, but that is that, that didn't stop um, uh, Bill Anderson and some other people got together to to get a boat. They called uh, what yeah. was it the Echo Echo Hunter Echo something or ever. Mm-hmm. And you know we got real life footage of them, you know, pouring over maps. Uh, people diving into the water, uh, trying to find this submarine. Uh, we don't ever, you know. Yeah. That's the other thing too. Is they're like, oh, maybe it was a German U-boat off the coast of <laughs> California. Yeah, that that's what kind of seems strange to me. I mean, I, I get. I mean, did it come through the Panama Canal? <laughs> what well, and I mean, yeah, because it's that's the thing. Is like, I mean, I I, I can get like you know maybe hypothesizing it's a japanese submarine that that would make sense did they even have submarines oh i don't remember that being like a thing in world war ii was it oh they they totally did yeah like so why are we saying it's one of ours or a (laughs) u-boat neither of those things makes any sense (laughs) right because if it's a german submarine like it seems like it'd be a lot easier for it to be attacking targets off the eastern coasts of the united states well, you know, I'm and I'm I'm certain that that was happening. Yeah, at least uh, you know we definitely had some German subs probably getting a little too close to the east coast of the United States. Yeah, Stack recounts in this uh, the opening narration that a German U boat was actually spotted off the course off New York City in ni- May of 1945, which yeah is right around when the war ended. Do you think they were doing a Red October? Do you think the Germans had been like, we're going to surrender because fuck this. Like they stole a sub and (laughs) we're headed for the United States to surrender. Do you think that's what was going on? Well, I certainly think that like, I mean, if they were aware of, you know, well, this is right up. This is right at the end. uh, Finding a, a suitable place to surrender would, Mm. wouldn't be a bad idea i mean I, I was kind of just thinking it was more like a battle of new orleans war of 1812 thing where they just hadn't gotten word yet because they were out at sea oh. uh-huh. uh but i mean certainly like i mean if you were in the german army like 
the, the last few weeks of the German army, uh, most of its formations were basically the, uh, uh, the priority was mostly just trying to get as far west possible, hoping you can surrender to the Americans rather than the Russians. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's, uh, yeah, this, this is, this, this was just strange. Cause it was like, uh, you know, it was trying to solve a, a, answer a question that hadn't been asked. I mean, like there's no fam, there's no, we have no families. Like where, what happened to my, they say my, yeah. my, my, my brother was killed in a submarine, you know, in a battle in the, in off the Philippines, but they only mm-hmm. just left port the day before or something or right. you know, it just yeah it, it just kind of feels like it's because as you say there's lots of records it seems like if an american summary would be sank there would have been more that could be, you could use records to kind of infer what happened and i just don't see that happening here but um i hope that boat worked out for bill anderson and, and his fellow well, investors maybe they had a nice little cruise off the coast of Santa Barbara or wherever. Right. Went. Right. Um, hey, uh, but speaking of a thing that really happened, something actually did happen. Yeah. Um, we, what well, we do know for sure that someone named Michael O'Mara, uh, was found dead, uh, just a short distance from a gas station. He was a, uh, captain, uh, with the God, what agency was he with? It was the Cook County Sheriff's Police. Cook, Cook County, okay. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he had taken all these special classes from the uh, FBI. There's a picture of him standing with J. Edgar Hoover uh, that helped give him specialized knowledge for because uh, he was big on he was his career was focused on taking on the mob. Um. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just want to ask you before we get into the details on this, what do you think the pro- what what percentage chance are, are you assigning that this was uh, him being executed by the mob? Uh, ninety eight percent. Yeah, that's that sounds that sounds pretty spot on to me. Yeah. With the two percent being like maybe it was something else. Right. Maybe it was a random crime. A random crime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the authorities uh, there in Cook County decided it was, in fact, a suicide. Mm, and so now we know what payroll they're on. Right. Because this, uh, his body was found because a highway patrolman uh, came up to a gas station and saw a car that had, you know, the gas handle in the tank. But in the door opened, but no one was around. And the trooper got out, looked around, and not just not far from the gas station and the the grass was a dead body uh, slumped over a rock, uh, flashlight and pistol nearby, and gunshot to the head. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, <clears throat> you know, the authorities decided that this was suicide. He was. Halfway through getting this gas, and he decided, well, what's the point? Yeah. Just (laughs) gave up in that moment. He's just like, it's just going to be getting gas and frozen yogurt for the rest of my life. And this actually leads me to uh, one hypothetical I have, because they do mention, um, you know, that he was going to pick up, bring back frozen yogurt to the family. 
while he was out getting gas. And naturally, it was the right before payday, so his wife had to like give him the cash to mm. actually get the the yogurt. And it was kind of yeah, it do be like that sometimes, you know. Yeah, and uh, he. It was very interesting in the reenactment. Did you notice that he was leaving to put gas in this car, wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase? Uh, yeah, that was weird. I don't know if the briefcase had like little holders that he was going to put the frozen yogurt cups maybe. into. Or maybe it was full of like toppings because he wanted to save some oh. money, you know, because they, they sell it by how much it weighs. Right. So, so maybe it was a briefcase full of toppings. He just goes in there and he's just like, just the yogurt. No toppings. No toppings. Yeah. And then when he... <laughs> and I guess they're in the briefcase because he doesn't tell his family that he's doing this. And then when he gets back out mm-hmm. in the car, he opens the briefcase and he's like, okay. Yeah. My wife wanted the peanut butter cups. My son mm-hmm. wanted the gummy bears. Uh, my whoever else was existing in that household wanted this and just, you know, mm. this sprint. Very clever. Very clever, yeah. Captain O'Mara. But uh, probably his, that briefcase smelled nasty and was a mess, if that's the... <laughs> if that's what was in the briefcase. Yeah, that was just sort of an odd choice, given the information we had about his circumstances leaving the house, which was... He probably would not have brought a briefcase. <laughs> yes, to the gas station and frozen yogurt store. But. Like if there was, if they were going to put forward a scenario that maybe he was, he was doing some undercover work, and he just told the family he was, he was going to get gas. That mm-hmm. that might explain the briefcase. But yeah, there's no mention of it. They just, you know, they show him he's going, he stops, he starts getting the gas, uh, and uh, wanders off into the the field. Yeah. I I can't help but wonder, do you think if he discovered that the frozen yogurt place was actually closed at that late hour, mm. that he that's what caused him to to commit suicide was <laughs> um, or maybe they were out of, uh, you know, the chocolate vanilla swirl at that point, that Barbara had asked for and he's just like, I can't face her one more time. <laughs> <laughs> if i walk into the if i walk if i walk into that house without the, the chocolate yeah, vanilla swirl i can't i simply cannot do it yeah. i'm just gonna wander into this field <laughs> and, which which actually to me sounds like a more realistic scenario than anything else cook county was was putting forward for yeah i mean this is the thing too so so the wife hires her own medical examiner mm-hmm. because she ain't buying this and what the medical examiner finds is that the gunshot, um, the gun went off two to four inches away from Michael's head. And, and I think very, uh, very smartly, the medical examiner points out, you know, usually if you were planning to commit suicide to make sure that it is successful, you put the also, by the way, um, no, I'm not going to mention that. I'm not going to give suicide tips on the podcast. Let's just avoid that. But usually <laughs> as the medical examiner. uh mentions is if you're if you're if you're gonna do it you put it as close to your head as possible and i'm sure that a medical examiner has seen plenty of these types of injuries yeah i mean i mean and that's something we we've seen in the in the show before is yeah people do not like if they're if they're gonna shoot themselves in the head they do not like hold the pistol out as far from their body as possible right and, <laughs> and, the, and the reason the reason being because there's this there's a 
look, there's a certain amount of recoil from a pistol or a handgun mm-hmm. that if if you hold it too far away and because of the angle you have to hold it if you're going to do it to yourself, uh, the recoil would cause either you to completely miss if you're holding it too far away or um, you're just going to graze the top of your head. Yeah. So there's a look, I'm just saying, please, please, you know, call a number. Don't do it. I'm just saying, that's just not the way people are going to do that type of activity. Yeah. And the medical examiner, I think, is very smart to point that out. Like this was this was not that. And there is no motive here. There is the where his body was found is completely bizarre. Right. Right. If that's what he was going to do. Um how many and, like, how many suicides happen in in the middle of getting gas, wandering into a field, and you know there's a big rock. It's like, eh, this, I'll do it here. Yeah, it, it's just not. He would have probably been in his car or something. They would have found his car. Yeah. With him in, you know, it's just like it doesn't make any sense. And I know I'm like I'm like the first person to be, to be like. The cops got it right on this one. Unsolved Mysteries, please stop giving false hope to this family that there's <laughs> going to be a killer in this situation. But this is so the opposite of that because, there. look, Michael Amara was pretty much walking around with the target on his back. Yeah. And Probably. he... And then it's there was a really bizarre interview with one of the... Um, I think it was from the sheriff's department. This guy couldn't even look straight in the camera. This is how bad he's lying. He's like, well, you know, I mean, the gun, he had the gun positioned wherever it was going to be. And then he did what he came to do. And uh, yeah, hey, what's that over there? Like, he wasn't <laughs> even selling the lie. So we agree. Uh, Michael Omara very likely was murdered. <laughs> oh, totally. Okay. Well, and that's the name of that tune, I guess. Yeah. We, I mean, there, this was a pretty this was a, a pretty short segment, if I recall. It was. Um, it's interesting. They brought Michael's brother, who's a priest, mm-hmm. in to be like explain that theologically his brother would not be have been allowed to commit suicide either. Um, so yeah, um, we we solved that. We solved this case. I mean, just in, in that the you know. It, He's almost certainly murdered. Uh, I don't think we ate, they caught the killer. Yeah. We now we got one more segment left, Crystal. We started this yes. segment by talking about people who uh, uh, living in things like school buses. Um, yeah. Though at Burning Man, it's a temporary thing. Yeah. Do you want to talk about? But these people were really uh, embracing the van. Hashtag van life. Yes, yes. Uh, although not p- probably of their own free will. No. I guess. Um, yeah, so uh, way back in 1948, um, there was a family in Tipton, uh, Oklahoma, of uh, Roy and Leela Stallings, and they had six children. Um, they, uh, Roy was just a fucking degenerate gambler and because of his inability to do a goddamn thing correctly, his poor family was living on the edge of poverty, abject poverty. I think they were in poverty. I think they were in it. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? I think they weren't on the edge. I think they were in, in the poverty. They, they were um, they were splash dash in the middle. Yeah. Um so they lived in an old school bus and they uh interview two of the children here for this segment, Mary Smith and uh, Joe Dillahunty. Um, who, as you might notice, are no longer going by the last name Stallings, and we'll get to that. Um, so, you know, Joe was trying to be charitable to his father by saying he was fatherly in his own way, but he wasn't really, like, around. And, um, you know, the mom kind of had it, was on her own to, like, provide for and, and, uh, and, uh, take care of all these kids. And so, there uh, mary talks about having she doesn't describe her childhood as being terrible or anything but i guess when you're a kid you don't really know any different right yeah yeah and mary was the oldest one right so she was about 10 years old in 1948 i, I think right i believe that's all correct yes okay so uh well, making a very long story short um there's this guy melvin gets introduced <laughs> Right, he was uh, driving around in a uh, classic car. I I don't know anything yeah. about cars, so I can't identify it. But uh, he and yeah, he's a family friend, quote unquote. But he's <laughs> like real friend. I'm yeah, he's like trying to take the kids. But but and but here's the truly a- assholeish part too. Like he's not trying yeah. to like take on the responsibility of all the kids he just wants yeah he just wants one of them he wants the youngest boy yeah so it's It's just so strange and also like red alert you know (laughs) i don't want any of those yucky girls yeah i mean melvin's giving big time pedo vibes okay so what he does instead is he decides to call i guess cps or something no does that happen that doesn't happen. CPS doesn't get involved yet. Well, well, in this. well, well, yeah, well not yet. Well, him and various other people of questionable. Like, I mean, here's the thing. All these people are quick to call the the because uh, it's after their bus gets repossessed or whatever that mm-hmm. that all these people call to like sick the authorities on them. And it's like, did any of you ever step forward to offer any sort of help to this poor woman who's trying to raise yeah. all these kids yeah, exactly. while her piece of shit husband is out yeah. literally working just, so, I'm sure, just so he can get what alcohol and gambling money he needs because he gambles away yeah. everything else, including the bus. Yeah. So and- one day the kids are like down by the river doing whatever and they come back and the freaking bus is gone. And, and I actually like I felt my stomach kind of drop when I saw that. Like, yeah. I mean, living in that bus was kind of hard scrabble, but like it was a shelter. I mean, yeah. lots lots of hipsters like to live in buses nowadays. So yeah, uh, uh, but just to like come back and they're like stove and you know, some belongings are scattered on the ground, and it's just like. Like when I saw that, I, I I pictured one of them, one of the kids say in my head, I pictured one of the kids saying like, well, I guess we're ground people now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's yeah. just awful scene. And then Melvin uses the opportunity to finally get the authorities involved with this after mm-hmm. the bus is gone. 
Um, so Roy and Leela are arrested for admitting to provide for the care of minor children. I don't know. It kind of seems like a Roy problem, but, uh, and then, so while they're in jail, basically what happens is all the kids get split up and taken to foster homes. And, and, and the, re- the reenactment where like Mary has to watch her kid, uh, like siblings be shoved into a car and driven away and how the, the, you know, it always seems like in every single one of these reenactments, the person who's doing it is just very gruff and is just like, out of the way, kid. I, mean, I got business. I got to de- deliver these kids. Or, and I'm sure there was probably a lot of that. I'm, I'm sure they like back then they were a lot less delicate um, with, with the, with these proceedings. But I have to imagine at least once in a while, you must've had uh, like someone who would, at least let the kids say goodbye to each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just beyond cruel. And I, I don't know, like so many of these lost love segments are just families being split up for the crime of being poor. Yeah. Yeah. That's which goes on to this day. Like, let's be fucking honest with ourselves. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so yeah, while uh, Leela's in in jail, and the charges were eventually dropped, by the way, but by that point, you know, they'd already split up the entire family. Uh, so uh, Leela finally divorces Roy Senior, drops his dumb ass like a ton of bricks. Good for her. Um, yeah. Leela ends up being able to marry the oldest ends up being able to go home and live with her mother about two years later. And then Joe, who was adopted by the Dillahunty family was reunited with Leela and Mary in 1959. So that's why, uh, Joe and Mary are being interviewed for this segment. So obviously they're looking for the rest of their siblings, right? That's the call to action here. Um, and then good news as often happens um they were connected with uh gosh who was it which sibling was it one of the brothers um yeah it was one of the it was the it was a younger brother right because because joe was the otis brother right i believe so yes yeah wait now roy jr oh was the oldest joe was just in the middle oh okay Well, yeah, we 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 get a kind of an unusual reunion uh, in that it's just the one brother meeting the other brother because Mary couldn't be there for whatever particular reason. Um, And then, like, at the end of the segment, they're like, oh, they found two more siblings. Yeah. And it was it was uh, Ernest. Ernest. okay, who I think was the youngest. All right. Because he goes or no, by he's the middle child. I don't know. Because he has a, he goes by a different name like Lee or something, right? Yeah, yeah. he does go by Lee. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's um this the segment like when they they ended it with like we got like the the reunion between the two brothers and a mentioning of like Mary couldn't be there but she she she's looking forward to seeing him soon and then they mention like in the te- like. The two others get found and the text update is, you know, like all the surviving siblings have been found, which I'm guessing is like they're leaving unsaid that the six of sixth sibling did not was yeah. not alive. Well, I'm looking at the wiki. It was Roy Jr. Oh, OK. Yeah. So. Um, 
but kind of a happy ending. I like I like when we end the unsolved mysteries episodes on a high note like this. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's kind of a gut punch when the last segment is uh is is a unsolved murder or something. I Yeah. It, it, it's why with um wrestling uh they it used to be like you could figure out who was going to on a pay-per-view event win the the big championship, you know, match because if it was the last match of the evening, the the face character would win. But if it's in the m- more like in the middle of the 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 card, you're like, "Oh, the heel's going to win." Because because then they're putting on some other match at the end of the night, so people have at least uh, get get to see the the face character win in the last match of the evening. So, um, yeah, like I mean, even on segments where we mostly get stuff resolved, if the the if the one unresolved segment is at the end, it's kind of just a little downer end note. <sighs> Well, if you want to leave us a downer end note, how might you go about doing that? Send us an email, uh, reenactedpod at gmail.com. Uh, and then <laughs> we'll see on over to Patreon and sign up for that $1 tier to, to, yeah. to, to help sustain the pod. And-, and thank you for everyone who has done that. That's mm-hmm. awesome, you guys. Like, you really are helping us pay for expenses related to the pod even though i i know we don't sound expensive but there are <laughs> there are there are expenses um you know like uh, paying our producer there is somebody that is not one of us that edits the show and does so very well thank you connor yeah. um especially thank you for what you're gonna have to do to this episode when <laughs> we <laughs> send it to you because there were um well the listener will never know yeah that's what's up because he does his job so I got your back. Uh, yeah, no, that that money really does help us. I was also looking at our iTunes reviews yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, it would be. I know you guys are out there, and you listen every two weeks. I know there are many of you. It would be wonderful if you could leave us a five star review on iTunes. And in fact, I would like to reinstate that the person who leaves the hundredth review, we will send a prize to. And we yes. will call you out. We will call you out on the podcast and say, you know, please email us your address. We would like to send you something. So let's just let's do it, guys. I know you're out there and it takes like two seconds and you don't even need to say anything. You can just be like five stars. Here you go. When you say hundredth review, do you mean hundredth written out review? Well, yeah, we're going to need to know who the hundredth person is. So you're going to have to say something, but you could just be like nice pod. Or you can even talk some shit. I don't care. Just leave that five star (laughs) review. (laughs) Like you can say whatever you want in the comments. I do not care. We will not have hurt feelings, but it would be super helpful. Also, like grab your dad's phone and just like get into the podcast app and like subscribe to the pod. Do it. You know, just steal someone's phone. It's fine. They don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, there's someone somewhere out there who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is listening. Perhaps it's you. 